Dear future, I'm ready to follow your guidance into helping the world to not only survive, but, but, but thrive. This is Dear Future, I'm Ready, a podcast brought to you from Amsterdam by Digital Society School and Transformational Studio. Your hosts for today are Carola Vashaw and Marco van Hout. Together, they bring new questions for topics that are still largely unanswered. Engaging with thought leaders on transformational topics that open up the conversation and the exploration of what's next as we navigate the 21st century. So that we can all say, Dear Future, I'm ready. Ara Schustek is a strategic designer. For the past two decades, she worked at the forefront of combining design, technology and business. She collaborated with brands such as Google, Philips, ING, Orange and many more. Bringing the experience-focused strategic approach to project teams and boardrooms. Her approach inspired many organizations to refocus and bet on experiences as their market differentiator. Next to consulting, Aga writes about strategy, leadership and innovation with design tools aiming to support delivering unique experiences called seed cards. And Aga also co-hosts a podcast about creative leadership, catching the next wave. She graduated with her PhD from the Eindhoven University of Technology in the Netherlands and teaches experience design all around the world. And she's also a co-creator in collaboration with the Alternative Design School from Denmark, Chaos Pilot, of a unique virtual learning experience, Become, aimed for creative change agents who want to step up and lead in the emerging transformation economy. So welcome to 21 for 21, Aga. We are very much looking forward to this conversation. Good evening. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> Hello, dear Aga. We're delighted to have you uh, with oh, us. Thank you for inviting um, me. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. So let me tell you about what we're doing here. We're talking to 21 transformational leaders, people who very much like yourself are ahead of the curve and to whom we can just really go ahead and ask, what is the view like from where you are at? Because this is the way that we and our listeners get inspired in our own transformational journeys. We will speak to you about experience design, umami strategy, how to leverage impact from transformation and super new, the introduction of what you call regenerative socialization. I cannot wait. And the first thing I want to hear from you is how are you seeing things these days? We're almost now, you know, on our third year of the pandemic. It's kind of very messy, very tumultuous outside. If you look at the current world stage, how is it impacting you as a person, you as a professional, and how you look at the future? Mm. It's a very good question. Uh, I would start by saying that, I, you know, for me, it's a very uh, visceral feeling because I have an impression that the world is shaking so that there is the shedding of the old, but not quite knowing what the new is yet. And it's always this space of ambiguity and uncertainty. And a lot of people are very, very uncomfortable uh, with that. And I love uncertainty and ambiguity. So for me, this is exactly the space to think of new things and 
uh, being an optimist, imagining that they will be possible. <laughs> because, you know, like when things are stable, the bringing change is not very easy. But if things are shaken, you actually get the cracks and you can start putting the new ideas you know, into these cracks. So um, this is something that uh, that I definitely see. But I also see uh, that the challenges that, you know, before the pandemic, we've been talking about the big challenges like climate change or uh, injustice or, you know, all the other big issues, uh, wicked problems as they are called. Uh, and it felt like they were a little bit distant. Right now, I think that the pandemic showed us that they are at our doorstep or actually at home already. And we need to, we, we just cannot wait to, for things to happen on their own. We need to start doing things. And mm. I kind of have a feeling that it's extremely scary for people, for companies, for organizations, because, you know, when you have a long period of stability, this dramatic change comes with understanding that so many things are not working, are not going to work anymore the way they did. Mm. So, yeah, that's the, that's a big challenge yeah. for us. I think for most people, that's an extremely scary place. And, um, and when people are scared, they also say harsh things. So I'm, I'm certain that you get called an, an optimist, that perhaps people also call you naive. Um, you're an extremely diligent and hardworking person. I mean, you've earned a PhD here in the Netherlands. Uh, you write books, you create card games, you're continuously engaging. But I'm sure that there are days that you uh, um, feel like, oh, goodness, how are we going to get through this? What helps you re-engage with your optimism? Hmm. So first of all, I call myself a naive optimist. It already helps because <laughs> it kind of gets the, the weapon out of the hands of people. <laughs> so they cannot call me that anymore because I called myself that, <laughs> which definitely mm -hmm. helps. Uh, but actually, I think um, that I'm actually pretty clear about my purpose and what it is that I want to change in the world. Um, and in a way, when you get on the path of your purpose uh, or your vision, really, you, you're less sensitive to all the comments and all the um, negativity that you might get from other people. And, you know, like at the end of the day, I, I keep on thinking that, uh, I'm lucky enough to be in a place where I can choose who I'm collaborating with. So if there is someone who uh, sees my naive optimism and, and all these things that I'm talking about as something that it's not for them, it's absolutely their choice. Uh, and that gives me a choice to say like, hey, perhaps I'm not the best person for you to collaborate with. Mm. And in that way, uh, you blow it's not blocking but you kind of let go of, of 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 all these things that usually give us the you know put us down basically i want to go back to that scary place where you say that change is happening all the time not that i'm a horror uh, enthusiast or something but um so you you might already say that we are in this time of transformation continuously yeah 
And um, um, yeah, I always say that if you want to steer the transformation, we need to change our mindset uh, first and foremost, but also train ourselves with the right competencies and um, to really become this kind of new breed of leaders uh, that can actually design that transformation. And it's also a term that you use a lot, eh? transformational design. And uh, I took from your website uh, a recent article that you wrote, really interesting, that you said, uh, we transform to be better partners, parents, leaders, citizens. We transform to be people we dream to be. Product, service, and experiences, the things that we design, can actually help and guide us on that path. But to what end, you ask yourself the question. So could you explain to to our listeners uh, why you think we need to go beyond transformation? And uh, what were the questions that you actually asked yourself uh, to come to this insight? So... When, when I've been thinking about experience design and transformational design, and uh, it all comes from writing the first book that I wrote, which is the Umami Strategy, and also uh, actually also working on the on the second one, uh, Leadership by Design, I realized that we offer certain things, especially transformations. But the transformation in itself is a process that ends, but has consequences. Mm. So with experiences, it's it's maybe a little bit easier in a sense that you design an experience and this experience can be meaningful, can have an impact on you, can be enjoyable, but it is, you leave, leave it in a moment. However, with transformation, there, there is a continuation after the transformational process happens. And otherwise, I think that the transformation wasn't successful if it doesn't have a consequence and the consequence in the direction that the transformation was supposed to take you. So what happens next if you transformed and you saw something that you cannot unsee? What's next? Mm. Uh, And I was pondering this question for a, actually for a long time, I think it was probably over a year uh, that I, I've been thinking about it. And I must admit that I'm a, a total fan of uh, the foundation series by Isaac Asimov, Asimov, which I mentioned in this article as well. And since I read it decades ago, uh, I've been fascinated by the concept of Gaia uh, or Galaxia, as, uh, as Asimov calls it. So this concept where there is a planet where everything is equal in a sense that everything is contributing into the ecosystem of uh, surviving and thriving. Uh, And I was thinking that in a way, a lot of things that we do, and this is how I was trained as a designer, we do it in this human-centered way. And suddenly I questioned whether, first of all, human-centered is a correct think, like correct way of thinking. And then I started thinking, is centeredness a way of thinking? Perhaps there shouldn't be a center. Maybe we shouldn't really focus on the one uh, think. Sorry for calling humans think, but (laughs) I hope it's kind of clear what what I mean here. So that was all the thinking that I've got. And then I was also thinking that uh, when you look at the uh, at this amazing um, uh, economic progression model that Joe Pine and uh, Jim Gilmore proposed, it is very much rooted in uh, 
uh, in a capitalistic approach to uh, product services, experiences, and so on. It's focused on us as individuals on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's focused on um, making the most successful bottom line, right? So basically, the more money you earn, the you know, it probably is a, a, a an indication that you went from uh, products to services, from services to 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 experiences, from experiences to transformation because you earn uh, earn more on it. And then I was thinking that this is, in a way, extremely hedonistic. If I use Aristotle here, and how about questioning again whether this is the only way to go about economic growth? And again, so a question mm -hmm. there, uh, Aga, because you're bringing in some very interesting concepts and, and saying things that, to a degree, not entirely, uh, resonate with me personally. I think at some point we kind of took a wrong turn, didn't we, as humans? Um, we we kind of came into this illusion with which is beyond the myth of separation but which is about homo economicus and as, as being rational beings and going into the more cartesian point of view and more utilitarian point of view and perhaps picking this utilitarian aspect uh, when we talk about economic utility we talk about the generation of value and i think that perhaps the biggest shift in this time of transformation is what we call value and is that a profit model or is that a prosperity or thriving model as you yourself describe and hence this is a very relevant question to us because as designers and the three of us discussing this uh, are, uh, have a background in design we always intend to create something for someone else and that someone, whether we call them humans or things, <laughs> that someone is not us. And so it necessitates a re-anchoring and a redefinition of what is value because I, I say frequently value and relevance are something that is uh, in the eye of the beholder, very much like beauty, right? It's the other person defines what is valuable to them. It cannot be us. We, you cannot make something and define its value that would be kind of very perhaps capitalistic to echo your own use of words. And personally, I am doing the, uh, the I, I sometimes kind of move forward uh, in the regenerative, but in other situations, I move backwards in a more regressive approach saying, hey, you know what, we need to revisit things. We need to see how as designers, we can impact uh, the experience-based models because I think one of the powerful things about experience design is, well, uh, obviously it's experiential. <laughs> so as others experience it, that mobilizes something that probably from a design perspective has very positive attributes as opposed to entropy. Right. Mm -hmm. So if if an experience is positive and we go into a positive reinforcement loop, I think this is very much in line with what you've written in your article and also the point of view of Isaac Asimov, who you who ju you just uh, referred to. And I think that brings us back to the optimism. What's the role of optimism in there, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yes. Yeah, so like we can be very feel very defeated in a context like today's, or not. So so just to start with your first point. Uh, so when you look at the at the economic progression model, you see that everything is created from, you know, from commodities to products, to services, to experiences, to transformations. Uh, so obviously you add this 
thing on the top of it as a way to show that it creates again more value. And the thing is, which is very interesting to what uh, to your point, Carola, is that this is not a monetary value. We are not talking about cash here, uh, because the idea is that you show to your customers that you are investing in the in changing the world to the to the end that they want the world to change, and you invest in that. So you're actually not creating more money out of it, but you are having more loyal customers. So over time, you are better off because we are playing a game where the customers are loyal to you. Uh, so the the value here is not, uh, you know, pure cash by the end of the year or the, the end of the quarter, but this is more about having the long-term relationship with, with the customers that join you. And uh, with as for the optimism, uh, there's something that you, Carola, mentioned just before we went uh, on the record that a lot of companies feel a little bit lost as to what the relevance is. And they are kind of trying to use the old ways to regain that relevance. And we have the meaningful brand reports who sa that says that 70, if 70, I don't know, two or five or 80%, depending on the continent, companies disappear today, nobody would care, which I think is absolutely true. And then when you think about adding this relevance as, a, as something that people actually care about, and which is something that they see um, as impactful for themselves and for their lives and for the life of the of, of the planet, uh, be it you know social justice, be it poverty, be it any other topic that we we are battling with these days. Uh, suddenly, you re-engage with people but not from a perspective of strictly capitalistic approach of earning money and just offering them something as a as an exchange but more on this emotional level when you offer something you invest but basically you get people to who want to join you because they believe that you can actually impact the world and let's be honest as much as we as humans as individuals can have quite some impact the companies have can, can have infinitely bigger impact yeah. on our behalf yeah yeah i want to i want to uh, want to add to that because you talk about the relevance now eh? and i think um getting back to the question that you asked yourself to what end uh, to what end can product services and experiences help um yeah how would you answer that now then so I'll come back to this point that when we go into a transformational process, mm -hmm. we change somehow, right? So we are often more, I would say that we are we are getting out of transformation more idealistic than we usually are. I don't know if this is a first statement, but that that's how it feels for me. Uh, and therefore, we we have the energy and the power to to extend this transformation that we went through. Uh, to the world. So like, you know, you, you just want to make it bigger than, than just yourself. And if you find a company that extends your perspective, uh, you want to get in touch or like connected to that company. So you, your impact is bigger, basically. And 
um, for for myself, because of course I can I can only use myself. So you know, one data point zero value because it's just one person. Uh, but uh, for me, uh, I I see the huge impact of climate change on the world, and obviously we all see it because uh, we we like like yourself like, like us. We had those huge winds these last days which were like you know basically breaking the energy power outlets and stuff like this and uh, and for me because I love nature and I love being in nature I want to purchase only things that are at least not damaging nature Mm -hmm. so and right now I can see in uh, in different shops or you know online products that are climate conscious and for me this is a clear choice so i i know that i can extend my impact from uh i don't know not buying clothes or uh, recycling or whatever to also choosing what i'm buying and how i'm how i'm being in the world and i need companies that help me do this and therefore, yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that statement, Aga. That's that's very powerful. Thanks for sharing that. I think that we've said that oftentimes in, the, in this podcast. Uh, there is a crisis of imagination. There is a crisis of spirituality. Mm-hmm. There is a crisis of consciousness. Uh, and because of all of that, we are losing our own self determination. We become depressed. We become defeated we feel gosh i don't i don't know which way so i'll just sit and wait and um there is this this human this is entirely human um need to connect and interconnect by modeling behavior by by oh being inspired by by possibility i think that there is a role for institutions for businesses for communities for even voluntary uh, ways of self-organizing to be that beacon to be that beacon of hope to be that beacon of and as as marco said and, and both you and marco are in the education space uh of wanting to learn not having to learn so it's no longer something that you have to do because it's imposed but it's something that is driven by curiosity by imagination by a need to to transform and i think much of your work uh relates to that um what is your propelling force what is that better more sustainable, more meaningful future that you envision? And, and how do you create those visions for yourself? Mm. So uh, I've been thinking about it for a long time. So I think that I have it figured out to an extent because I don't think, I, I probably we finish figuring out the day we die <laughs> because there's no more time to figure <laughs> anymore. Uh, but uh, for me, I realized that as, ma- as much as I would love to be able to create a product that changes the world, my power is in inspiring people. Uh, so I am really good at that. Uh, and I get people to do the things that probably I would love to do myself. So as I was thinking about my uh, my vision for the world, I was thinking that my uh, my goal is to inspire people to become a better version better versions of themselves and to extend this learning of the best version of themselves into the world. So this is the, this is the combination. That's beautiful. 
And it's rooted, like I have a distinction between purpose and vision, because I think that purpose is our why, why we are who we are. And vision is where we want to go with what we do. Like, you know, it's, it's more past, present, future kind of oriented. Mm-hmm. And for me, for once, like I already mentioned that I, I am just deeply enamored with nature. And this is something that gives me, I'm an introvert. I'm a choleric introvert, which is a weird combination. That's that's my whole family. So I am good at interactions with people, but I need a lot of time to recharge and nature is my place to recharge. And at the same time, because I had this amazing opportunity to travel the world and see places and I just, you know, Actually, quite selfishly, I just want to have this opportunity for the rest of my life and for the mm-hmm. for the rest of of the life of my nephews and nieces and their children. And you know, uh, it, it's just too, be- too too beautiful to 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 go to waste. Uh, and yeah. and at the same mm-hmm. time, there's a huge uh, huge generosity in in that. Uh, I have known you for a while, uh, and um, I get to call you a friend. And I know that you are an extremely generous person because that is exactly uh, what you inspire people to do. And 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 as as well as nature, I know that one of the things that inspires you is also song yes. and music. <laughs> um, what other things do are you go to places for for recharging and for because you can there's a saying you know you can only give what you already have or you what you have achieved yourself otherwise what's the point right we would be exhausted and so how do you kind of refill recharge that space in order to, for the transformation to keep going out of this fascination that you say you have with with change and with making it possible and seeing it happen and being a part of it but that in itself is not feeding the energy so what is (laughs) i think that there are like few things so one thing is that uh when i was uh when i came to the netherlands uh so many years ago uh i was given an opportunity to come to a design program and that was something that was a huge discovery for me and honestly i wasn't i wasn't terribly qualified to actually get there uh, so I got a wild card and I always felt that I should pay it back, uh, this opportunity, this enormous opportunity that I got in my life. And I remember talking to someone years ago, uh, one of my professors, I think, and he told me, how about instead of paying it back, you pay it forward? And that was something that like shook me to my core. And I said like, yeah, of course, obviously I cannot pay it back to the person, but I can pay it forward. So this is this is something that... I'm thinking like if we all got these amazing opportunities like I had, uh, you know, the world would be a far much better place. So that nice. that's one. The other thing is that um, years ago, I, as and you, Carola, know already about it. I went through a, a, a burnout, like a very heavy burnout. And that time after when I was recovering from it, um, I promised myself that I am not going to do things that don't, that waste my energy. Like, uh, I, I was willing to suffer the consequences in terms of like, you know, maybe earning less money or, uh, I don't know, <laughs> again, not buying something, which is totally okay for the environment. So <laughs> it was only for the better. But I said, I said to myself that if I am to live a fulfilled life, I cannot 
waste the energy for things that don't, that eat me up basically. And uh, that led me to writing books because uh, when I was a kid, uh, my friends, you know, female friends, especially it was the time when you wanted to be a singer or an actress or something, you know, of that kind. And I always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write detective stories, by the way. I didn't get mm. to, the, to this yet. <laughs> 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 but uh, I was, so, so basically in a way, I am, I am on a path of realizing my childhood dream that I recovered decades after. Mm. I have this uh, feeling that I, I, have, I have this huge debt that I, should, I, I will be paying forward for the rest of my life. And at the same time, because I'm trying not to get myself into toxic situations uh, as much as I'm able to. Sometimes, of course, you end up in those anyway. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm trying to recover from them as quickly as possible. I can sustain that, that, that energy for the things that are, you know, important, I think. Yeah, right. I, I hear you. I hear you. So I, I'm picking out two things from this. Um, so you're talking about opportunity and the opportunities that you had. Uh, the energy, uh, the things that you choose, um, the energy direction that you choose. Um, that's, of course, from your own perspective and your own experiences, um, obviously. Uh, but if we want to to spread that impact that you referred to earlier, um, how would we have to organize ourselves then? And we are in the education business. <laughs> Carola just mentioned it. So we're, we're actually trying to to educate people, to train people to expand their impact. How do you see these two elements, energy and opportunity, coming uh, together in mm -hmm. that? Uh... Hmm. That's a very good question. So I'll start by saying words which are not mine. They are uh, words of Matt Durden, uh, who is the author of uh, Designing Experiences, uh, co-author actually, together with uh, Bob Rossman. And uh, we had a chat once and uh, Matt said that he hopes that he can teach his students to become transformers. Mm -hmm. And I think that he encapsulated this whole notion that mm, perhaps instead of teaching others about transformation, we should, or we would hope to teach them the skills to keep on changing. And right. if you, yeah. if you change in a changing world, you know, it kind of goes into sort of resonance <laughs> if yeah. you do it in, in agreement with yourself. So this is one thing. And the other thing is this, as I said, agreement with yourself. Uh, I've been mentoring quite a lot of people and they are usually, you know, in the middle of their career and th they come to me for design uh, um, uh, mentoring or like design help. Mm -hmm. But we always end up in the middle of their choices, life choices. As when you, uh, when you think about strategy, when you think about differentiation, when you think about experiences, you kind of refer these things to yourself more often than not. Uh, and I, I keep on realizing that as long as people are in agreement with who they are, uh, good things are happening really. So I think that this is the, the, the wisdom of being able to ask yourself that question. Does it, does it agree with me? Like with food, you know? Maybe the, exactly. I was going to say, maybe the question is, what does it taste like? Because <laughs> if it's umami, 
right? Oh. Then you're in a different <laughs> yes. space. Um, and, and linking to your work uh, on the umami strategy, which is absolutely fascinating, um, really it is about mixing and matching and tuning with what resonates and, and, and making sure that, that it becomes a very, um, for lack of a better word, or perhaps this is the best word, a very beautifully organized, orchestrated experience, something that makes sense because it tastes so good. Yeah. How did you get to that concept? What led you there? <laughs> Food, obviously. <laughs> uh, I love uh, cooking and eating. And uh, I'm a vegetarian, uh, which probably kind of comes together with, with everything that I said before. And um, uh, and I'm also learning to cook. So I, I love learning things. And you mentioned, uh, Carola, something uh, something else. You, you said that I'm connected with music and with, with singing. Actually, this is another thing that I did at some point. It was a few years ago. I've decided I have to get myself into being a complete beginner again. I've never sung in my life. I've never, I never thought that I have an ounce of talent for it. Nobody ever encouraged any of it. And at the age of 45, I've decided, okay, this is the time to learn singing. <laughs> so you can imagine the frustration when I would, I, I would have those young, beautiful, long legged girls singing like angels and me <laughs> going, you know, like not being able to, to, to sing one scale. It was terrible. But now I'm actually getting quite good at it. Is this the moment we asked you? Uh, <laughs> to, no, <laughs> no, no, no please do don't. We do <laughs> <laughs> Although I was, uh, we had had guests uh, uh, some time ago and, and I was actually singing gospel with them, which is super cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, Amazing. Yeah. And anyway, but coming back to, to the whammy concept, uh, I was, uh, so, so basically, you know, when I, when I came up with the first, one of the first titles for the book, they were like, you know, uh, uh, scientific articles, <laughs> long and boring <laughs> and not, not very self-explanatory, but not necessarily catchy in any way. And I remember that I was doing this course on vegan cooking and uh, we had, uh, you know, we were learning how to replace eggs and cheese and, uh, you know, all the other things that, that, uh, that are not part of vegan uh, cuisine. And at some point we had the concept of umami explained. And I was listening to, the, uh, to my chef uh, talking about it. And I was, I, I had this like... Uh, lightning in my head. It's like, oh my gosh, like this is the concept because the whole thing is that when you think about any business or any organization you have, and this, this is very subjective. So please, if, if you disagree with that particular set, think of any other set that you think of as elements of an organization. But what I, I'm saying is like, you've got your product, you have your clients, you have your um, business. So, you know, like all the financial stuff and so on, and you've got your employees. So basically this kind of creates the, the existence of a, of a company or an organization. And any company can exist with these elements easily. You know, actually most of the companies in the world exist with just those elements. But if you add experience design and strategic experience thinking on the top of it, suddenly your employees are happier because they are designing something that brings them joy. Your clients are happier or customers are happier because you get something that it's different and, you know, nice and tastes better. 
you've got the business that, that runs better because you sell a more experience than just service or a product. And then you've got the, uh, what, what was the, f- the, f- the fourth uh, employee, client, uh, business and product. And, and you have a product that, that is actually, uh, has elements of something that, that, you know, makes it exciting for people. I, I think that's, that's absolutely brilliant because, one of the things that uh, Marco and I uh, have been working on at the, at the Digital Society School is also this concept that it's not about us. It's, um, I'll explain. In design, we have this question, which is, how might we? Mm-hmm. And how might we suggest that we know? <laughs> <laughs> and sure. the reality is that we don't. Mm-hmm. So... We have invited students within the Digital Society School to turn that question around and say, how might I? And add something to that question. How might I so that we? And the difference is is gigantic. It's like your experience in that kitchen, right? It's not about the single ingredients. It's not about the act of one single person. Is how do we put ourselves to the service of the whole? You can only achieve umami when there is a collection of things, and that is the magic. So when we start understanding that we are as much part of the solution as everyone else and that we can start mobilizing that, that's really when, when that magic starts to happen. Um, so I, we're excited about your next book because your next book actually does exactly that. How might I so that we, it goes into the space of leadership, leadership at an interpersonal level and leadership at a, very centered, very grounded level, which is exactly what you've been sharing about your experience with song, mm-hmm. right? So tell us more about that. What inspired you to your next book? How's that process going? What can we expect? <laughs> so How um, far are you? <laughs> uh, actually, the book is written. The book is oh. written. It's going to be published in September. So it's really soon. So I'm a little bit in a frenzy of copy editing uh, and preparing it for to be put together as a, mm. as a product, really, rather than, you know, pages, uh, pages of Word document <laughs> that are on my computer. <laughs> Mm. So the idea, I, I had this idea for for the for for the second book already when I was writing the umami uh, strategy, um, and it came from the fact that when whenever I was talking to leaders or executives about um, strategic experience design, we would always end up in a situation that we would discuss culture, and when we discussed culture, we discussed leadership <laughs> because I don't know if you agree with this, but I think that leaders set the culture. So if the leaders have their culture, this car- culture basically trickled da- trickles down to the whole organization. And, and often I would end up being asked to help them come up with a way to reflect on the leadership. So I was creating those little tools and reflection journals for them and they would get them and they would have to fill it in. Uh, And usually there was a lot of resistance in this whole process because obviously you don't want to face yourself (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with respect to a lot of things that you do. Uh, but we would always have a workshop afterwards and discuss these things and to see how they are, they are, feeling about their leadership. And as I was going through this, they would always, practically almost always ask me about 
models. Like, do you think that I should be an authentic leader or should I be a situational leader or am I a change leader? And I was, mm. I never knew what to answer to these questions. I, because I'm, I'm a designer. I'm not a leadership uh, guru uh, who read all those like hundreds of thousands of articles uh, available online. Uh, but at the same time, I, I also kept on thinking that uh, much like with, with experience design, again, people are looking for a silver bullet solution. They are looking for the one, the one that will help them to be the best leaders they can. And of course, it's never that easy, uh, as we all know. So basically, uh, I've been thinking that I would love to write a book about leadership, but not a book that talks about the model, which is and not a book that's prescriptive because I don't have the answers. I have zero answers about that. Uh, but at the same time, I love this whole concept and the Umami strategy is also written in that, in that way that I'm, I'm thinking of um, descriptions or um, techniques rather than prescriptions and recipes. Uh, that's, that's the difference that, you know, like you with prescription, you kind of follow it. With description, you get the elements and you have to assemble the picture yourself. Like you, I'm not telling you what the picture is because I don't know. And as I, when, uh, when the Umami strategy was published, I actually had a little bit of baby blue, uh, which Carola probably, you know, very well, <laughs> uh, because when you publish your book and it go, goes into the world, suddenly, Hey, you've been working in a frenzy for a long time and suddenly there's nothing, there's a void. But the other thing is that the baby is out and you can't really change anything and it's out there for judgment and you don't know the judgment <laughs> yet. So, of course, yeah. you're just shaken <laughs> about like, you know, how, how it's going to be received. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was, so I've decided I'm going to do The Artist's Way uh, uh, by Julia Cameron, the, 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 the course on uh, uh, recovering and discovering your creativity. Uh, as a way to calm myself down, basically, because <laughs> yeah. I was I was in a weird place. It wasn't a bad place. It was weird. And as I started doing this course, I kept on thinking about the book, of course. Uh, and at some point, it just dawned on me that the the artist way is exactly the way how I want to write my book. I want to make it as a guide or a course into creating your own leadership practice. Uh, with the challenges, with the topics that are crucial to consider. And they are like, again, this is a subjective uh, selection by me. So I am not claiming to be objective in any way here. And I, as I sat down to write it, I actually wrote it in four months. Uh, it, was like, it was like this book, uh, this book wow, wanted out. <laughs> so I, I just, I, I couldn't do anything else. I was just writing every single day, pages and pages. And then I, I, was, I was scared because, A, like I said, like I'm not a leadership expert in any way. Uh, so I was thinking, okay, like how am I to position myself mentally in creating this material? material? And I, uh, I had to sort of uh, fool myself that I'm a leadership journalist. <laughs> so, you know, like with design, I, I'm, I'm a designer, so I'm writing about my practice here. I, I, I set myself as a, as a journalist. But the other thing that I did, I wrote the book and I sent it immediately to a bunch of friends of mine who are in leadership positions or fr as freelancers, work as freelancers. And I asked them to test it for me. And uh, one of my friends who is, uh, she's a uh, 
she runs constructions of huge uh, luxurious hotels. Uh, so she wrote to me at the end of this whole process that by the time she started the, the course, she wanted to go to Tibet and become a monk because she was so exhausted by her job. And at the point of ending uh, that the course, she was successfully running one of the biggest luxury hotel pro building construction field in, uh, uh, in Austria. Uh, and I was like, wow, <laughs> okay, that, that's cool. <laughs> so you do have some answers then. <laughs> uh, wow. I think that At they have directions. the answers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, it's, it's to the point really of, of uh, how might I saw that we yeah, putting right. yourself Absolutely. at the service of that which you are trying to create. And, and, and that is a very difficult thing to do because uh, it means relinquishing control. You have no control of the outcome. None whatsoever. And that is an act of generosity. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Anna. I hope uh, it may be a very successful. Yeah, we look forward. It's a, it's the four months baby. It's a record in that sense, right? It is. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Umami strategy took me uh, over a year. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's also a record in terms of baby terms. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yes. So we have to wrap up. Uh, obviously, we want to wrap up uh, with you. Give you the final word, and it's always a very important word because uh, it's about the future. You have to speak to the future. Uh, and uh, our podcast is called Dear Future, I'm Ready 21 for 21. Uh, and we would love it if you could finish the sentence, Dear Future, I'm Ready. And then tell us what you're most ready for and leave us with that. Dear Future, I'm ready to follow your guidance into helping the world to not only survive, but, but, but thrive. Wonderful. We love that. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so beautiful. much, Aga, for being with us and having this very nice conversation. Thank you so uh, much for having from me. From our homes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And thank you for making me think about it because I think that it helps to sharpen my vision even better. <laughs> Dear future. 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 I'm ready. This is Dear Future, I'm Ready. Dear Future, I'm Ready.